morning, IBCM, and welcome to our daily devotional time. Monday through Friday, in which we take some time in the beginning of the day to read and meditate and pray and apply God's word together to equip us not just for this day only, but for every day as followers of Jesus Christ. I really appreciate all of you who are loyal and faithful in joining with me uh, each morning. Excuse me for the uh, frog in my throat this morning. Uh, Anyway, hopefully my throat will clear up here pretty soon. So glad to be here with you this morning on this Thursday morning. This week, we are building on a theme that we drew out of last Sunday's passage in Mark, in which Jesus excoriated, which means really uh, criticized and ridiculed the Pharisees for having the kind of worship which is only lip service to God, but not really a heart that sought God, that truly worshiped God by burdening people with so many laws and regulations that it was almost impossible to truly, on a, a daily normal pattern of life to live in worship of a good, great, and mighty God. We're going to continue that thing. Excuse me. We're going to con- <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. We're, we're going to continue that theme this morning with a little bit of a different take on it. We're going to look at the first Psalm, Psalm 1, and look at worship through the eyes of the psalmist who is contrasting two ways of life. I I think this is important for us to consider because too often when we think about worship, we tend to think about an event that we attend on Sunday morning or other times at a church campus with a group of fellow believers. Truly, Every Sunday morning is a genuine worship experience at IBC Manila. But what we want to get to as followers of Jesus is just not a worship event. But we want to get to the point and to the the place in our lives in which we experience worship daily. And not just daily, but moment by moment to see our lives as an expression of worship, our living as an expression of worship to the Lord. Like um, Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 12, the first few verses, that true worship is um, a, a sacrifice of life, a way of life. And that's that's what we're moving toward. That's what we're living for. So we're going to read Psalm 1 this morning and think about what we're learning about God and about worship from that passage. Let's start with prayer. Father, this morning we want to approach you, your throne of grace and mercy in prayer today. Uh, on my mind right now is um, <clears throat> uh, Emil, who is really struggling physically, and he's had some pretty serious heart surgery. A valve was replaced, but there's an infection that set in, and, and his life is in the balance, and we're lifting up him for healing. We're lifting up his daughter, Angela, and his wife, Mildred, as they are struggling through this as well. We do not want to neglect or forget them. And so right now, Lord, we pray for your healing mercies and your peace. We just ask that you would intervene and uh, 
respond to our prayers in, in this way, by bringing healing to uh, Emil's body, to his heart. Get rid of the, of the infection and bring him back to good health. And now, Lord, we want to also pray that we have spiritual disease in our all of our hearts that we have to deal with every day. And so we're praying that uh, this medicine, which we call meditating on your word and worshiping you, will create spiritual health in our hearts. Please use this word to correct us, to challenge us, to inform us, to inspire us, transform us by your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. God bless the reading of his word. Well, this is a powerful psalm. I mean, I love the psalms. I have, I have fallen in love with the psalms. I think without a doubt the psalms are that this is my favorite Old Testament book, and uh, the Psalms. And this first Psalm starts it off, kicks it off on a powerfully profound and deep way. We're going to talk a little bit about something we learned from God. Remember our R-E-A-D? We read and, and reflect upon what the passage teaches us about God. The E, we, we examine <clears throat> How this encourages, this word encourage us in our discipleship. A, we, we apply the, the word of God in a way that adapts our hearts to God's will and design for our lives. And D, we determine what we're going to do in response. We're going to do a little bit of that today. A couple of things, though, a couple of words that I think require a little explanation as we read this passage. First, the word happy. Now, when the Bible talks about happiness, it's talking about a kind of happiness that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not talking about this sort of giddy, um, sentimental uh, disposition. It's not about a disposition. It's about it's about um, it's about a a. a a, a condition of the heart. It, it's about a deep connection with reality. It is, as we'll talk a little bit more in a minute, it's, it's this sense, this deep sense that all is well. It's really close to the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace or wellness. This happiness that the Bible talks about is not conditional. 
it's not situational it's 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 a it's a way of life and i also want to draw out the word instead in verse 2 and in verse 4 that little word is powerful in this passage because that little word marks a line between one way of life and another way of life. And then it marks a distinctive line between the consequences of one and the other. It's an important word. So in the first verse, the writer's talking about <clears throat> the happiness of one who does not attend worship. And by attend worship, <clears throat> I don't mean a Sunday event. I mean a way of life does not attend worship with the wicked. Instead, a demar demarcation, a line drawn. Instead, in completely an opposite manner, uh, the righteous live by the word of God. In verse 4, instead is a line of demarcation between the consequences of life. Rather than prosperity, the wicked who attend worship of the human flesh and the world mindset blow away like chaff in the wind. So what the writer is giving us here is a contrast of ways of life, a contrast of worship. And this tells us a lot about God who we worship. Just think about this for a moment. What we learn in this psalm is that God wants me to be happy. Like every good, kind, and loving father, God enjoys seeing my smile. He receives joy knowing that I am content and happy. Like I said, I'm speaking of proper and true happiness, a sense of blessing and peace that all is well. This kind of happiness is not contingent upon comfort or convenience or financial wealth or anything like that. In fact, many people living in wealthy comfort are not happy people at all. Material riches can bring a type of happiness that is frankly short-lived. A perfect father does not spoil his children. He provides their needs. He provides more than their needs, but, but they're not spoiled. They're not given every little trinket their eyes that catches the, their eyesight. Not giving them so much that they become addicted to much and must have more of it. That is not happiness. That's not the kind of happiness God wants for his children. He is a good, gracious, kind, loving father, and he wants us to be happy. How happy? Those two words describe a profound, deep sense and abundant happiness. How happy? In other words, there is no other happiness found, true happiness found, other than the one who does not but rather does. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Not only, not only does God want us to be happy, 
God wants our greatest desire and happiness to be a relationship with him. Every good and loving father longs to be loved by his children. I know I do, even though I'm not perfect. I, I do. I want my children to love me. Years of experience and maturity, wisdom have taught me the great joy of knowing your children admire and love you and long to spend time with you. Foolish fathers give too much time to work and hobbies and not enough time to their children. God wants us to spend time with him. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. God's greatest desire for you is your true happiness, a happiness that is found in a relationship with him. Things come and go. Material possessions decay and rot. Our beautiful young bodies grow old and wrinkled and we get overweight. But a relationship is what gives true happiness. And the ultimate relationship is the relationship with God. He desires that relationship with us. He longs for us. And we learn from this passage that God has given his word to us so that we can listen to his voice and fellowship with him. This is another evidence of a father's goodness, conversation. Now, certainly presence is powerful. I remember as a child, like when I was a little boy and, and there was, it was nighttime and there was a thunderstorm and there would be the lightning and the thunder and, and it was, the thunder was so loud, it would rattle the windows and, and uh, I could hear the rain hit against the window and maybe a, a tree limb scrape across the top of the, of the roof outside. And, and, and you know, it, that, that strikes fear in the heart of a little child. But what I remember gave me so much confidence and comfort was knowing that just across the hall in that house was my mother and father. And I knew that if I called out, they would come check on me. Just knowing they were there was a powerful comfort for me. Presence is powerful. But conversation is golden. I didn't only want my father and mother to be present. I wanted I wanted a relationship. I wanted conversation. I, I wanted to hear their voice. When, when things were, were not good, I wanted to hear them tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I was frightened. I wanted to hear them say to me, we're here. We're going to protect you. We will take care of you. Presence is powerful. Conversation is golden. And in, in, the, in the Western world, and, and I see it sometimes even in Asian culture, even in Filipino culture, this strong and silent type of manhood, that's a deception. Strong and silent is not manly. Children need to hear their father's 
voice. So right now I say, thank you, Father, for speaking to me. I desire to hear God's voice. And as the psalmist tells us here, those who are truly happy, how happy are those who delight in the Lord's instruction, the Lord's voice. And we meditate on it day and night. Listening to God's voice. Contemplating its profound meaning. And consequences for my life. Hearing it as not only comfort and encouragement, but correction and guidance. This gives us great delight. That's worship. But also, God desires for me to be fruitful and prosperous. Every good and loving father finds joyful delight in watching our children succeed. In fact, we find it difficult not to brag on them when they do great things. And even more so, our grandchildren. I'm sure probably sometimes you all get tired of hearing Cindy and I talk about Asher and Piper and Phoebe and Ira, our four grandchildren. They're remarkable. We, we get so much delight from them and we we love to see them succeed the other day when i was watching little ira who is five playing soccer on the field i i i applauded him and i was filled with so much joy and pride as i watched him successfully pass the ball to a friend we love to see our children succeed but of course we can go too far and cause our children to think that it is only by good performance that they receive our love. So fathers also need to be there when they fall, when they fail. But like good fathers, God delights in my success. He takes pride in my victories. And when I am delighting in him, he even resources my success. That's awesome. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. We better talk about that word. That word, that word does not mean that we get rich. The word just describes a success that brings pleasure to God. God loves me so much that he constantly, without fail or neglect, he watches over me, verse 6. Watches over me. He's there to comfort. He's there to camp champion me. He's there to correct me, encourage me, inspire me, protect me, provide for me, etc., etc., etc. Man, this, this psalm teaches us so much about God and inspires worship. Why would I want anything else? I have everything I need in Christ Jesus. I have a good and perfect father. His spirit abides in me. I need no other source, no other possession, no other counsel. Why would I think I can find meaning, purpose, significance, and success anywhere else? As Peter said one time, to whom else would we go? You are life.
and there is the clue, and there is the cue for our worship. A loving father who delights in us, who delights in our love for him, who is powerfully present, who speaks to us, who gives us instruction, who takes delight in our success, who builds an environment in our lives when we truly worship him for success and fruitfulness, who is watching over us with his eye on us. He takes delight in us. And with that, I say, let us worship. Let us worship the Lord. Father, thank you for this psalm and thank you for being such a good, loving, kind father. We worship you, Lord. We willingly and gladly and joyfully place our life in your hands. And we pray that by the power of your spirit and your good and gracious mercy and grace, that our life will truly be a life of praise and worship to a loving, awesome God. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining with me this morning. I pray you'll have a great worshipful day and that you will not worship, not attend worship with the wicked and those who deny God, but that your worship will be before a present God who loves you, who delights in you and desires your joy and contentment. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow morning.